the immune system mistakenly attacks and destroys healthy body tissue. Specifically, persons with this syndrome develop substances that attack a protein called collagen in the tiny air sacs in the lungs and the filtering units of the kidney. So what happens is the immune system attacks organs or tissues, mistaking them for viruses or foreign chemicals. The immune system's faulty response causes bleeding in the air sacs and inflammation in the kidney's filtering units. So today, grandmommy uh, will struggle to do simple things that many of us will do without thinking. Dressing ourselves, walking, eating. They're at the point with Tara's grandmother that they're considering a feeding tube, but uh, Tara's mom hates to take it away because eating is really the last part of quality of life that, uh, that Tara's grandmother has, though everything she eats is through a blender. And the interesting thing to me is that she's struggling not because someone else has harmed her and not because something else outside of her body has harmed her, but she's struggling today because of what's going on inside her body. Her own body has attacked itself. Similarly, the Bible says that the church is a body. We're called the body of Christ. Certainly, we affirm that Christ has a resurrected physical body, but then the picture that God gives of the church, one of them, is that we are a body and that we're the body of Christ. And we know that there are attacks of the devil and the world, and those are very strong but it's never those that concern me most. It's when the body turns on itself and begins to work destruction from the inside that I get most concerned. I really believe most churches fall not because of outside attacks, but from what's going on inside them. Internal tension, stress, divisiveness. In our study today in Romans 12, I believe there's a very timely word on how the gospel community can minimize turning on itself and instead work for the good of each other and for God's glory. And I'm grateful for Romans 12 because what it can show us is here's how we don't end up attacking one another. Here's how we work for each other's good rather than against each other. Here's how we work for not just the glory of God but for the health of the body. And we're going to see this in Romans 12. We're actually going to study just one verse, though we're going to read verses 3 through 8. But before we launch into that, I want to quickly review what God's already shown us in His Word about the gospel and the gospel community, what we've been studying in Romans 12 so far, just in case this is your first Sunday. We've seen that the gospel changes how we use our bodies in Romans 12.1. The gospel community uses our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure. I pray that's what we've done this week at Crosspoint. It's what I've been praying for us. So the gospel changes how we use our bodies. We use them to show that Jesus is our treasure, nothing else. Number two, the gospel changes how we think. We studied this last week. The gospel community thinks more like God and less like the world, and we're transformed by such thinking. So we're on a journey to figure out how does the gospel word shape us and nourish us? What does it mean to be the people of the gospel? We're talking about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What influence and what does it mean to be the gospel community? Today we will see that the gospel changes how we think about ourselves, the church, and using our gifts. And so here's what you need to remember. When the gospel community thinks rightly about itself, it will think rightly about the church and rightly use its gifts for each other's good and God's glory. Or conversely, as I've put there in your notes, thinking wrongly about ourselves will cause us to think wrongly about the church and to misuse our God-given gifts. When we elevate ourselves, we're going to devalue everyone else. When pride is in us, then we're probably not going to be prone to dependence on one another. 
And yet God's plan is for you not to be just a saved individual. God's plan is that when you are reconciled to himself, we are also reconciled to one another. And we have responsibilities. And it's a very timely word for us, I believe, as we live in a day in which people just move from church to church based on preferences rather than biblical convictions. We have people who just sit and receive rather than serve. And we have people that the church is not important to them, yet the church is important to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so what we want to pray is that God speaks clearly from his word and that we then become the gospel community that lives these things. Let's stand together and read verses 3 through 8 this morning from Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, as always, we are grateful that you've preserved this text for us. And as always, we need your spirit to light it up for us, to illuminate it, that we might grasp it. Father, I pray that you would help us to live Romans twelve three. that we would not be those who think more highly of ourselves than we should, but we are those who meditate much on the measure of faith that's been assigned to us by God. And as a result of that, we will grasp that we are one body, many parts. We have responsibilities to one another. And the thinking rightly about ourselves will cause us to think rightly about your church and then in turn use our gifts rightly for the service of you and for others rather than just selfish purposes. Father, I pray that you would build your church. You would form the gospel community by your gospel word. I pray now for Tara's grandmother and I pray for your peace. Pray for health from the top of her body to the soles of her feet. Father, I pray that you would help our church not to do what her body has done. Help us to be those who see your word here so we will not be those who turn on one another or work against the good of this body. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As we begin in Romans 12, we really have just one main large point this morning. It's the fact that the gospel changes how we think about ourselves. If you were to take Romans 12, 3 through 8, I believe there are three aspects. It says that we have a renewed mind and we think differently. And as we flow into how is it that we think differently, what we see in this passage is that we think different about ourselves. We think different about the church and we think different about our gifts and we use them for the good of the body. We'll see this, but today we're just going to land on the gospel changes, how we think about ourselves. When we left last week, we learned that as our minds are renewed, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And how are we to be transformed? By the what? Renewing of your mind. And when your mind is renewed, you will know something. What will you know? God's will. What is good and acceptable and perfect, right? So as our minds are renewed, we're going to know what God wants. And I've always found it interesting that as he says, look, don't think like the world, think like me. And as your mind is renewed, you're going to know what I want. And I've always found it interesting that the very first thing he says is, don't think more highly about yourself than you should. Then the second thing he says is, understand the church. 
understand the church. So as we have renewed minds and we begin to think like God, I think it's significant that the first two things he says is don't be prideful in yourself. Don't think higher than you should and think rightly about your relationships with one another. I think it's significant these are the first things. Literally, in Romans 3, he uses the word think four times. In our passage, it says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober, and some of our translations here say judgment, but it can also be, it's the same word, it's the same root word, sober thinking. So don't think more highly of yourself than you should think, but think sober thinking. I wonder what he's thinking. All right? And for those of you who are like, man, I hate thinking. This is going to be a tough day for you, brethren. This will be a tough day. Imagine Christianity might actually call us to think. There are two important initial notes as we start this. First of all, notice what Paul says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say. What Paul says is because of God's grace given to him. It's not because Paul was saying, look, I'm an apostle. You've got to listen to me. It wasn't because of Paul's greatness. It was because of God's graciousness that Paul is speaking. And so what I would pray for us is that we would receive this as a word of grace from God to us. Paul is saying, look, for the, by the grace given to me, this is the message. This is the message for you. So let's receive it as a word of grace from the Lord. Maybe that way we won't bristle when we begin to feel uh, a little refining. The second initial note is, for by the grace given to me, he says, I say to, what's the next? Who's he saying it to? everyone or all of you or every man some of you ladies might say good we're off the hook and oh the idea here is that all of us all of us it is written to everyone i want you to turn to a neighbor and say this you really need to listen today i want you to turn to another neighbor and say i really need to listen today all right so don't miss it Paul is saying, look, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, as he writes this church to, as he writes this letter to the church at Rome, he's saying, every one of you, every one of you, this is a message, so you need to listen. And remember why, remember where we started. If we think wrongly about ourselves, we're going to think wrongly about the church, and we're going to misuse our gifts. So here's why it matters. My wrong thinking impacts us, not just me. My wrong thinking impacts us, not just me. We are such an individualistic society that we think it doesn't really matter what I think about church or what I matter about one another. Friends, the gospel crushes that and brings to us the responsibilities we have for one another. And your wrong thinking doesn't just affect you, it affects us, those who are called the gospel community alongside of you. So we want to be those who think rightly about self. The gospel in itself, the gospel community is more about us than it is about me anyway. And the gospel community is most about Christ than it is about us. All right? So it's more about us than it is about me. I wanted to say it's more about we than me, but I knew that that was not completely proper English. But you might remember it because we are the ones who tend to think about me rather than we. But we should remember the gospel community is primarily about us and not just me. And most, it's about Christ rather than us. So here's the warning again. Hear it. This is God's will for us. Remember 12.2. Your mind will be renewed. You'll know what God wants. So here's what God wants. All of you, every one of you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober thinking. That's what God wants. Now let's pause just for a moment. Do we really need this warning? Do we need this warning? Are we really prone not to think rightly about ourselves? I am the most well-adjusted person I know. 
And I remind myself of this daily, right? Are we really those who are susceptible to thinking higher of ourselves than we should? Are we? Some of you are saying, not me. Yeah, this word's exactly for you, buddy. All right. Others of you, though, would say, my problem isn't pride or conceit or thinking higher. My struggle is I have low self-esteem. I undervalue. I want to submit to you that whether we struggle with overthinking or underthinking, the root issue is the same. We keep finding our identity in us rather than Christ. And then, say it another way, we think improperly about ourselves because we think mainly about ourselves rather than Christ. And so whether it's high esteem or low esteem, it's the same problem. You're finding your identity in you rather than Christ. So don't hear the words, don't think higher and think, well, this isn't for me, this is for other people. Friends, it's for both of us. It is how can we think about Christ And it's a word for all of us. So when we hear the warning, for by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. When you hear the phrase more highly, what are some words you begin to think of? What is it? Pride. Pride, That's one. All right. Other words. Anyone else? Greed. When you think more highly, what do you think of? The conceit. Pompous. I think of these words, right? Pompous, conceit, pride. We'll use pride, and let me just ask a question. And the reason we'll use it is because I've already written an outline for it. So let me ask a question. Does the Bible say anything about pride? It does. And we are the people who know it, and so we intimately we avoid it with all that we have. We passionately avoid it, right? Because we know what the Bible says. We avoid it at all costs, right? All right, we'll see. All right, let's go on a journey a little bit. And I hope that we will allow the word to wash over us this morning as I share some passages with you and we turn some passages. And I hope that we'll see this as a five-alarm fire with implications for our faith community. I've been doing the uh, premarital counseling for Mark and Rebecca. They're sitting over here. And and I ask Mark, as we talk about... uh, going through Song of Solomon, and and Solomon says, catch first the foxes that would destroy our vineyard. If any of you had an intruder in your home, how many of you would work against that intruder? How many of you would see that intruder as an enemy and probably whoop them, all right? And then later share the gospel, right? That's what you do. As it says in Ezekiel, you come in at night, I knock you out, right? That's what it says in Ezekiel. It's a rough translation, but any of us, if someone comes in my house, you should know I will share donuts with you later, but not, first of all, I'll share my bat first, right? So this is how it goes. And I have a responsibility to protect my family, right? We would attack anyone that would work against our family, wouldn't we? We would attack that. We don't want them to work against our family. I hope that you will hear the five-alarm fire that's going off. Friends, pride will destroy our family. Pride will destroy us. Pride will work against us. When we think higher of ourselves than we should, It's an alarm that's going off. It's an enemy, and let's be hostile toward it, as Moses is told in Numbers 25. In the Old Testament wisdom literature, there are repeated warnings against pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a... Anyone got a guess? Fall. Fall. Listen to what the Bible says. Pride goes before destruction. So you can be prideful, but here's going to be the end result. Destroyed. Destruction. It comes before fall. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So you can have pride, but the end result is not only that you're going to be destroyed, you're going to be brought low. Proverbs 8, 13. Wisdom is talking, and it says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I hate it. Wisdom hates 
pride, according to Proverbs 8.13. And then in Psalm 31.23, this one is worth paying uh, particular attention to. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Who wants to abundantly be repaid by the Lord for our sin? Anyone? Anyone say, I would love it. Not partial. Give me abundant repayment, Lord, for my pride. Be awesome. Right? Hear the word of the Lord. Friends, we have scripture that we might be warned, that we might learn from it. And so the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, many more examples I could show you. Pride comes before destruction. The one who's prideful will be brought low. Wisdom hates pride. And God says, I'm going to repay the one abundantly who walks in the ways of pride. Does Paul ever say anything about not thinking too highly about ourselves? Does Paul ever do that? Well, sure. We see here in our text, in Romans 12, he says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He's going to say down a few verses. Look in verse 16, in the same chapter. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Man, Paul, you just, you just told us that up above. You think we forgot that? But sometimes we're the people that forget it, right? We're like, we're reading, and then we're like, what is it? Oh, thanks for reminding me. I forgot. Thanks. Another reminder. Why would Paul put it in here? Apparently, he sees that it's important. In Galatians 6, in a passage that we studied recently, here's what Paul says. In Galatians 6, he says, beginning in verse 3, If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And we talked about that. In that context, we can see people who are struggling with sin, and we can see people who are just struggling in general, and we can think, well, I'm much better than them. I'm not falling into temptation in this area, and I'm not struggling like they are, and I'm better. Paul says, don't. Don't, don't go down that trail. You're going to have to bear your own load anyway before the Lord. And then in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, he says this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Why do you think Paul mentions this subject so much? Why do you think there's repetition? My Greek professor said, if you keep throwing stuff against the wall, eventually something's going to stick, right? And so Paul repeats and he repeats and he's constantly warning us. And I believe he's constantly warning us because we're prone to be those who serve self rather than others. We're prone to be those who will elevate self to the devaluing of others. He, I guess we would say as we consider these verses, perhaps some of us would say, well, I don't know why Paul does this. He never met us. We're the most humble people on earth. We don't need all these reminders. Well, I don't want you to miss one of the greatest reminders. So if you're in Romans 12, I want you to back up one chapter to Romans 11. One of the greatest warnings this morning about thinking too highly of ourselves is that it can lead to thinking wrongly about our salvation. It could cause us to think wrongly about our salvation. In Romans 11, Paul is saying, look, the Gentiles have been grafted in, and you should be grateful for Romans 11 this morning. It's significant. Romans 11 does not have to be in the Bible. It does not have to be in God's eternal plan, and yet God has chosen for it to be, so you should be grateful for Romans 11. But in being grateful, we don't become prideful. Romans 11, verse 18, Paul says, Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. 
And the, the issue that he's saying, look in 17, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And he says, look, God has grafted you into his family. So don't be boastful and say, that's right, peeps. That's right, Jewish folk. I'm grafted here. He wanted me. And he says, don't you forget, it's not you that supports the root, it's the root that supports you. The branch wasn't missing something, and it needed you, and God was needing you. You have been grafted in by his sovereign choice, and don't forget this. He's then going to go on in verse 20, and he's going to say, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So here again, he's reminding us, don't be prideful. Don't become arrogant about this. Stand in awe. And if God didn't spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare you. And then we see in verse 25, one more time, he says, Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. And he goes on to paint the picture. Here's the incredible thing that we want to grasp this morning. When we think wrongly about ourselves and we elevate ourselves, one of the most dangerous things is we can think wrongly about the gospel and we can think wrongly about our salvation. And Paul is warning us, don't think wrongly, because what you may begin to think is, I deserve Jesus to die for me. The kingdom of God needed me. The body needs me. The body couldn't function without us, and that's why we got grafted in. Paul says, no, don't think wrongly don't over evaluate yourself don't hyper think yourself think rightly well how do we do that if pride is going to work against us and it could destroy our gospel community and how do we avoid that and i think there are two answers that are given in the text the first one is think on god and we see that in Romans 11. The second one is think on faith and we see that in Romans 12:3. If you look in Romans 12:3 he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In Romans 11, where we were, he says, don't become proud, but stand in awe. So if we're going to be those who remain humble and useful for one another and useful for God's purposes. Then we must think on God and we must think on faith. And here's what I mean by that. Our thoughts on ourselves become elevated when we fail to consider God's awesomeness. Or another way, nothing crushes our pride more than to consider how awesome God really is. If you want your pride and contempt poured on our pride, as the hymnist says, then all you have to do is meditate just a little bit on God's awesomeness. How many of you watched the LSU game last night? Anybody see that? We uh, went and watched part of it with, with some of our friends. And when we came back in, we pulled in the garage, and all three of our children got out of the uh, Yukon, and they went out on the driveway, and they began to look up at the stars. And so they were just looking and looking, and then Tara, uh, the disciple maker, says, you realize that God calls these stars out by name. And I was just looking at the stars going, they're pretty. They're bright. That one's sparkling. That one's moving. Red and blue, red and blue, red and blue. Oh, wasn't a star. The next time you begin to think how amazing you are, friend, and how awesome you are, just walk out your front door at night and look up. And when you do that, consider that he calls all of them by name. Our scientists just have random numbers. I don't know if stars actually get offended that they're like R2-D2. He's like, I have a name. 
awesome. Whatever it is. When you get there, remember this. They shine for his glory and at his pleasure. And every time I see it, I think, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And remind us how big you really are and how much bigger is your creator. And it's even more amazing when you consider a few more things about God and stars. You ready? He made all of them out of nothing. He spoke all of them into existence. He sustains all of them by his powerful word. And he needs none of them, yet they all need him. Friends, it's real tough to think how awesome you are when you consider that. I want you to turn to Job 38 for a moment. If you ever want to think rightly about God's awesomeness and make sure that the Lord is producing humility in you, you should just turn to Job 38. Just read it. One time should do it, but in case you're really hard-hearted, then you feel free to go back through. Job, you know, and his friends have been trying to figure out why Job was suffering. And the incredible answer in the book of Job is God never tells Job why. God just reveals more of himself to Job. That's the answer Job gets. And so they've made all these speculations. And I love in Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then he begins, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. And then this is a particular question. It was on my ACT test. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? I missed that question. Where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. I love when God's funny. Oh, Job, you've been here for a couple of years, buddy. Let me tell you what it's been like from the very beginning. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hell, which I've reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man? Man, you should just meditate on that verse alone. God brings rain where there is no man. God brings rain, and how he works it to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did ice come forth, and who's given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Now he begins to ask about the stars. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead from the Maseroth in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? 
Did you know Pluto's not a dwarf planet? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? No. Live in Baton Rouge and try it. Just walk out next time it's hot this week. Rain, cover me. See what happens. See how prideful you are. See how other people think you're a freak. Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Here we are. Who's put wisdom in the ember parts? If you go on, it's just incredible. Uh, of course, I always share my personal favorites, chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? No. No, and that one crushes my pride every time. I got no idea. No idea about that stuff, right? He says in verse 19 of that same chapter, Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? Friends, it wouldn't take very long in Job 38 and 39 to realize, as Dr. David will always say, only God is awesome. Only God is awesome. But can I show you one more? Because I think that we're the people who too easily elevate ourselves. Turn to the end of the Bible. Turn to Revelation. I just want to show you one last picture of God's awesomeness. So that we might be those who don't think more highly of ourselves. In Revelation 21, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be an incredible sight. But in 22, Revelation 21, verse 22, here's what John sees. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Friends, you want to meditate how incredible God is? He doesn't need the sun in heaven, for his glory will provide all the light that's necessary. One of the most incredible things in Revelation is he says, beginning in 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The incredible thing about God's awesomeness is, friend, the tree of life was in the very beginning and how he formed it. And the tree of life will be again how he desires it. And the nations are the ones that will be healed because God had an eternal plan for the nations. And we see here in the end, God will accomplish that plan. Friends, don't ever forget Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. When we meditate on his awesomeness, then we tend to sing songs such as, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Or our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you're higher than what? Any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Friends, if you meditate much on God's awesomeness, you will probably not be prone to think you're awesome. And you will probably have a right perspective in your own journey. So here's what Paul says. Stand in awe. Think on God. Let me give you the second one. Think on faith. Back in Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think on himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul sees the remedy to us being prideful, thinking on faith. 
the remedy that would keep us from being arrogant is to consider our faith. Why would Paul say that? I think it's for two very simple reasons. The first one is because our faith is in Christ. The second one is because our faith is from Christ or from God. It's tough to be prideful about something you did not accomplish and something that was given to you. And so we look to faith because it will help us be mindful of ourselves. Our faith is in Christ. So he tells us think on faith. And the first reason is because our faith is in Christ. When we look to Christ, we look away from ourselves, right? We cannot simultaneously boast in ourselves and in Christ. Paul says, look to the faith you've been given because it points to Christ. And on the outline there that I've given you, when we look to Christ, we're reminded of three things. The first thing we're reminded is we have nothing to boast about in ourselves. This is why Paul says in Galatians 6 that I will only boast in the cross of Christ because only in Christ is there righteousness. When we look to Christ, we remember I needed a substitute. I am not holy enough to stand before God on my own. My own righteousness is filthy rags. And when we look to Christ, what we see is the accomplishment, the one who has been the substitute for us because we weren't good enough, but he was. And he is. And his righteousness becomes ours. So it's not us that we then boast in about how great we are, but how great Christ is in taking the wrath that should have been ours. So we look to our faith because our faith pushes us to look to Christ and be reminded our boast is in him, nowhere else. Number two, he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Man, so many of us get excited if we're obedient in a certain area one day. And then the next day dawns, and we're like, we tank it, right? Friends, you want to be arrogant about yourself? Meditate on the fact that for 33 years, Christ walked, was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. It will humble us quickly, and then you're even more humbled when you realize you get credit for his obedience. You get credit for his obedience. Plus, anytime we're obedient, it's only because he's empowered us anyway. We can't boast in ourselves. So Paul says, look to your faith because it's going to force you to look to Christ and what he has accomplished. And three, it's going to remind you without Christ, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Look to your faith because it's going to point you to Christ and it's going to remind you without Christ, we can do nothing. Without Christ, it's impossible to please God. So pride has no seedbed when we're looking to Christ rather than looking to self. So Paul says, if you want to think rightly, look to Christ. And remember, apart from him, you can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. It is impossible to please God without Christ. The second thing, not only is our faith in Christ pushing us to look out from ourselves, but the second thing is our faith is from God or from Christ. Not only was our faith accomplished by Christ, but it's given to us. So many of us think, well, no, faith is a work of me. Friend, if it's a work of you, I can tell you where you're going to end up. Faith is not a work of us. Listen to the words of Scripture, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God does something that changes us to want to want what he wants. He works to change our will and empowers to work for his good pleasure. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Very popular, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. You're saved through faith. And you didn't accomplish the faith, friend. Faith is a gift of God. And then 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul just says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So you see what Paul's saying here? He's like, look, 
You've got to not think more highly about yourself than you should. One of the remedies is just consider God and how incredible he is. The other remedy is consider your faith and how you have to have faith in another because you weren't good enough to make it on your own. And two, the very faith you have has been given to you. So if you boast at all, let it be in God and not in yourself. And then you will have a right understanding. Here's the bridge then to the rest of the passage, the verses that follow in 4 through 8 that we won't cover today. We'll just mention them here. And we'll pick them up should the Lord give us next week. And if he doesn't, I'm okay with that too. As we think rightly about God and faith, we will think rightly about ourselves. And as we think rightly about ourselves, we will think rightly about the church. What humility does is it keeps us from overvaluing ourselves and undervaluing others. Have you ever been around someone that was very prideful? Are you sitting close to them? They're not fun to be around, are they? They're not fun to be. Can you imagine the heart saying to the foot, I'm much more important than you, foot. And then the foot says to the heart, try to go somewhere without me, buddy. Right? You see, when we have a right understanding of who we are, and we're also friends, going to have a right understanding of our needs for one another. We're not going to undervalue each other. We're going to understand we need each other. It's going to crush independence in us. So instead of being arrogant and independent from other believers, or having a rock star mentality. So the, the, the two things. There are those that think, I got Jesus, I don't need the church. That shows that you are either ignorant or immature. Because Jesus' plan is for you to have the church. All right? So what it does is it crushes independence in us, but also this rock star mentality that church needs me. You know what I'm keenly aware of? Should I not come back next week, Crosspoint will carry on. There is only one indispensable part of this church, and it's Christ Jesus. And so when we think rightly about ourselves, friends, then it prevents a rock star mentality to say, that church needs me. Oh, friend, we understand. I need this church. I need Christ. We need one another. And we will see that we are not the body, but part of the body. That we are dependent on others just as they're dependent on us. That we each have gifts of grace to be used to serve others and not just self. So I think what a timely word next week's study will be, the gospel changes how we think about the church, calls us to think rightly about church, rightly about community, and rightly about responsibilities to one another. So it's not just about what can I get from this place. You, you'd be amazed the number of people who show up and like, what can Crosspoint do for me? Friends, it's not just what can I get, but what can I give when you understand Romans 12. Not only about preferences. So many people just hop around that, the bodies of Christ really seem amputated in many ways because people are just going, going, going. Is there any fault that the sovereign God assembles people for reasons in certain congregations? I believe so. So it won't be just about preferences, but about biblical responsibilities. And it's not just about Sunday morning attendance, but weekly contributions in each other's lives. That's what it means to be the gospel community. The gospel changes how we think about ourselves and how we think about the church. So let me then move to our closing. Are we then those who are thinking rightly about God and ourselves? Are we living Romans 12, 3? Are we heeding the wisdom we see there? When people look at us, can they see us striving to obey Romans 12, 3? Is humility being produced in us as we consider every day how incredible God is and how incredible Christ is as our substitute so that we don't become arrogant at all, but our hearts are full for the one who's given his life for us that we would have a way 
As we close today's study, I want to add one last thought. Right thinking of self will produce right living and ultimately impact the lives of others we serve. A renewed mind is the mind of Christ. And I just want to leave you with two pictures. Because if we're still those who tend to think higher of ourselves than we should, then I hope that these two pictures will crush that. John 13. Does anyone know what Jesus washes in John 13? He washes the disciples' feet. And after Jesus, who at that point knows all things have been turned over to him, he knows he's king of the world. He's always known who he is. He says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. You see, pride causes us, or thinking higher of ourselves causes us to see some things as beneath us. It's difficult to think that when Jesus washes the feet of disciples. It's difficult to think that anything is beneath us. Friend, I will plunge any toilet on this campus. I will plunge any toilet for the sake of the gospel. And so should you be willing, as the mind of Christ is producing us. The second picture is the one we read at the beginning of the service. In Matthew 20, James and John and their mother asked for prominent seats in heaven. And Jesus says, you know what? Gentiles, they lord it over people when they're in charge. But not so with you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then I love, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, friends, when we don't think highly about ourselves, but our thinking is the mind of Christ, then how Christ lived should also be evident in our lives. Right thinking isn't just an academic knowledge that we walk out of here and think, okay, I need to think more about God, I need to think more about faith. Friends, right thinking has a purpose, right living. And it would be evident that as we don't think too much of ourselves, it's evident in the way that we serve for the cause of Christ. They see Jesus in us. This is what we want to pray. God produce this. If some of us are honest this morning, we would say, I think way too much of and about myself. And it's not only impacting me, but my family and my faith community at Cross Point. If this is us, then we're those who perhaps think too much of ourselves or about ourselves. Let us do a couple things. Let us seek the Lord's forgiveness. Let us seek his empowerment to stand in awe of him and consider that our faith has been accomplished by Christ. It's been given by the Father. It's ours because of the Spirit. Let us ask him to transform us by renewing our mind to be the mind of Christ. And let us ask that right thinking will result in right living and have a profound impact on those around us. Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for the time that we've been given to gather here. I pray that as we will close out our service with some announcements, Father.